On George Kennedy is my co-pilot. We look at the lengthy, always unique career of one of the finest character actors to ever live, George Kennedy. On this episode, Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges are buddying up with George Kennedy and Jeffrey Lewis in tow in the 1974 crime comedy Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. <laughs> Welcome to George Kennedy is my co-pilot, a podcast devoted to the always wonderful George Kennedy. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is Lightfoot to my Thunderbolt, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? What a mixed sort of compliment that is. I don't know uh-huh. what to mix, because on one hand, <laughs> like, Lightfoot's hot. And, 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 and watching this movie, I was really like, holy shit, the dude was hot. Like, holy yeah, shit. Absolutely. Uh, on the other hand... He dies of a brain hemorrhage. So, like, well, I, I feel like guess you're we're just going to jump into the spoilers in the first like, seven seconds. <laughs> I just feel like you're wishing me ill, is what I'm saying here, buddy. Also, come on. Anything more than 40 years old, I don't want to hear spoilers about. Joining us in this lengthy, sometimes baffling journey is the always wonderful Sarah Jane. How are you doing today, Sarah? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, for longtime listeners of George Kennedy is my co pilot, they will know that in the first segment, we usually talk about a game show appearance or a commercial featuring George Kennedy. Uh, last episode, we talked about his Oscar win, of course, and his uh, his speech that he gave afterwards. On this episode, we're doing something a little bit different. I found a clip on YouTube from a television program called Late Night with Conan O'Brien, a very popular talk show that is now uh, defunct, uh, has been defunct for quite a while, but even the show that uh, it led into is now defunct. Uh, this is a clip from 1999 uh, where Conan and his sidekick Andy Richter are discussing a commercial that Andy had become obsessed with featuring George Kennedy. Why don't you play the clip, Liam, and then we'll talk about it. Well, I saw, there. Uh, you don't see enough George Kennedy's, Kennedy these days. I was saying that just the other day. And I saw him in this commercial, and I tried to, I, I saw it, and then I was waiting and waiting and waiting to try and get a copy of it. And it's for like some sort of vitamin type thing. And I found a copy And of in it. fairness, I, I just want to tell them his backstory. Mm-hmm. Andy was obsessed with this commercial. He saw it a couple of weeks ago and he's been, you got to see this George Kennedy commercial. Yeah. And he has been <laughs> scouring the airwaves, looking right, for right. it with his VCR on, trying to find and it. Finally weeks. trapped it, cornered it and trapped it. Uh-huh. And, and Liz, if you could show it, this is George Kennedy's ad here. This is George Kennedy. I take Candu every day to restore healthy joints. Candu. So could you. <laughs> I can I can see using George Kennedy for the voiceover, but why have that sea monster in it? <laughs> uh, one of the reasons. One of the reasons I chose this clip is because it reminded me of an era where things like that would happen, where you would see something, become semi-obsessed with it, and then not be able to, like, there wasn't a, a YouTube or even just a, a, a generally, even though the internet existed certainly at that time, it just wasn't easy just to do a quick search and find information about that thing. So you just have to have your VCR ready so you can tape a commercial, a 10-second commercial featuring George Kennedy. Liam, if you had to describe that commercial, what happens in it? Well, uh, George Kennedy, 
he swims up to uh to uh in in the shot there's the edge of a pool and a and a little bottle like medical bottle of can can do i guess it's mm-hmm. called can uh, and, do and he emerges from the water in a in a way that i think is meant to be playful yes. and possibly even uh i don't know if i'd say sexy but charming and uh and i would say more charming than sexy yeah uh but instead he looks like this sucks like he doesn't it looks like he needed a few more takes because he looks discombobulated and uncomfortable and really worried about his hair uh and then he just looks at the camera and says the line you know about how he takes can do and and i get it like you know at this point he's he's an older man and so the idea is the can do is why he can do things like swim right um uh Though, like you know, swimming is sort of the the least uh, of the exercises they could have had him doing. It's not as bad as like if he had been running or something. But still, I still get the idea. But it looks awkward. It just is not. They needed a couple more takes, honestly. <laughs> well, he, uh, he swims please. up and then kind of just like beaches himself on the side <laughs> of the on the side of the pool. It's like like it is. It's like a sea monster when we watch when we watch kaiju. There's always a scene where like Gamera or someone pops up and it's like, hi, I'm Gamera. And so that's exactly what I thought. Well, you know, there is a sort of uh, of a a sort of thing for both for both men and women in movies where they're coming to the edge of the pool and they come up a little bit and they tend to go up on their elbows. Right. So that. Uh, you know, uh, for for a woman, you get some of the, some cleavage action. For a man, you see the muscles, the shoulder muscles, whatever. He, Rippling shoulder muscles. He doesn't <laughs> leave the water at all. Like, like you don't even really see all of his face. Almost like he's kind of only barely up. And I, it made me think, like, how deep is that pool? Like, is he holding on for? It looks like he's holding <laughs> on for dear life. Like he might <laughs> be washed away. And that's not the vibe you want in the hey, take these pills to be more active and athletic. Just you imagine want... the furious action below the surface of his legs just kicking just to keep him afloat. It it just that's what it looks like. And I just thought, was there not a more shallow pool available. I mean, aren't we, where did they shoot this where they're like, this is the only pool we got. We got to do it. This is what it is. It's just, it, it's very weird. Liam, I, I was, I was reminded of a famous scene from the television show, Twin Peaks. And there's a sequence in it where the killer, Bob, uh, the, 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 I can't explain. <laughs> it, it would take me a little while to explain who Bob was, but he, he is the killer on the show, sort of. And uh, there's a sequence where basically we, we have a point of view shot as Bob, walks towards us and climbs over a couch. You are a captive yes. audience. You are the eyes, right? You are the camera and you cannot stop yourself as this as this evil visage comes closer and closer. And that is sort of what I was feeling as George Kennedy was arising <laughs> as so, this pool. So you're comparing this George Kennedy commercial to one of the most terrifying moments in broadcast television. 100%. I I don't know that there's ever been a more frightening event on live TV than Bob on Twin Peaks. Sarah Jane, what were you going to say? Bob was terrifying. Um, If you look at the notes, look at the picture of George Kennedy in our notes. Mm -hmm. And is he on the bottle of Kandu? Oh, that's a very good question. I believe he is. I, I, oh man, why wouldn't you want to have George Kennedy on your bottle of can do joint supplement? Right? It's a weird color mix because it's like magenta. Like what? But it looks like him, maybe Johnny Carson. I don't know. Like, I don't. Are, is he trying to show muscle? What is that? I'm, I'm <laughs> fascinated. 
Uh, listeners uh, are already probably aware that the clip that we used from Conan O'Brien was of, 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 of taped from a VHS tape. I mean, converted from an old VHS tape. That's why it has all that sound. But there's just something more found footagey about seeing George Kennedy through the <laughs> eyes of a Conan O'Brien episode from 1999 when this, you know, contemporaneously with this commercial that was playing at that time. Hey, we know George Kennedy pitched a lot of stuff. That's the only way to see this, what was it called? Can-do joint supplement. Um <laughs> I wanted to get just quickly your takes. I was a big watcher of Conan O'Brien in this era, even though because I grew up in Newfoundland, Canada, which has its own time zone, as I bring up as often as I possibly can, it meant that the Newfoundland time zone is an hour and a half after the Eastern time zone. So Conan O'Brien wouldn't start until 2 a.m. So you would have to stay up pretty darn late if you wanted to watch it. And it's already called Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Starting with you, Sarah, were you a watcher of Conan at this time period? Excuse me. I think I was more, um, what else was on? Was Letterman, it, well, no, this was after Letterman, so it would have been Tom Snyder. Tom Snyder? Yeah, I was more Tom Schneider. Yeah. But some, it want... depended on the guest. Sometimes I would um, I would go between, if I was, uh, I mean, in 1990 I was or 99, I was going out all the time, so, you know. Well, I can tell you one thing. I was not. <laughs> <laughs> I was the lamest 18-year-old you could possibly find. Um, how about yourself, Liam? Were you watching Conan uh, when you were uh, a couple years older than me? No. No? What were you watching? Did you ever stay up late night? If you were, if you were up late, what were you watching on the television? That's a good question. In 99, um, was I still at home? I think I kind of I think that was the year that I moved to college. So I went to college locally, and then I transferred to a faraway school. Right. So when I was home, probably watching horror movies, honestly, or watching basic cable stuff. Like for whatever reason, I didn't figure out who the fuck Conan was till he was almost off the air. Like it was just it was it was like <laughs> like like seriously, one hundred percent. I was just like, who's this guy? And it wasn't till really, you know, I, I think this was maybe this would be considered the I don't really know what the timeline is on Conan, but it was like by the time right before he briefly took over the better time slot. Right. Like I watched a little bit of him, but most of the time this late at night, I'd honestly be asleep. Like my vibe was. You know, if I was out at the diner with friends, or I was hanging out with friends, or if I was the like diner, if I, <laughs> you were your Seinfeld buddies, you were out there with Kramer and George. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Is that a thing on? I don't really watch Seinfeld either, so I don't know what we're talking about. But well, I will you say don't that, need much fucking context, buddy. It's just they hang out at a diner, and two of their characters are named George and Kramer. <laughs> Weird. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, was that was that not a thing with you growing up? I guess you didn't have like there wasn't anything to like go to late at night, like a like. I don't know. I guess that is a. I can never tell how much stuff was like a local Jersey thing and and how much wasn't. You again. And, I have to. I have to just reiterate to you, Liam. What you're talking about probably is a semi-universal experience. But my growing up was very different. I grew up on an island. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I used I used to always sort of think of diners as a Jersey thing, and then people said, "No, there's diners all over the country." Like it's weird that New Jersey people think diners are from New Jersey. And then a friend who like was studying food stuff was like, "Yeah, but a lot of diners around the country are made of these trailer things. Like that's why a lot oh, of diners right. have the same shape. They're made of the trailer, this trailer. So it's like an easy put together. And those trailers are all made in New Jersey. So technically, all diners are from New Jersey." And I was like, huh. "That's fucked up." <laughs> but yeah, like growing up, that was like, like. 
that time, so 99, I was in college, but I wasn't yet like away at college. Uh, you know, we'd be at shows, we'd be at the diner, or I'd be hanging out with like my girlfriend if I had one at the time. I think actually I just got dumped in 99, but right before that, I'd be hanging out with my girlfriend, and that's it. And so, like, that late when he would come on, so it was like, what, one o'clock you said was when he would come on? Well, it was, I right? guess it would have been 12 30, right? Your own time? I guess I was up at 12.30. Most of the time, if I was up, I watched the two syndicated episodes of The Simpsons and went to bed. Sure. Right. I just <laughs> wasn't. For me, like, late night was for parties and making out. And if I wasn't right. at a party or making out, I liked sleep. And I'm like, I might as well get to sleep because I got shit to do tomorrow. Like, I, I in 99, I was either going to college or working. Like, every every day I didn't have class, I was working. So, like... It just didn't make sense to stay up unless we were doing something cool. And then I might stay up kind of late. But this, you know, when I was still living at home, I couldn't waltz in at like four in the morning. You know what I mean? Like I, I you know, I was still in bed, you know, in the home like at one o'clock because if I came in too late and woke my mom up, it was going to be a whole issue. Even though I was technically an adult, <laughs> it was still like you're not really an adult, you know. I thought we were going to have a lengthy conversation of our f- favorite moments from Conan O'Brien. So I'm really disappointed to hear that none of you decided to waste a lot of your late 90s watching. I mean, I, I watched some of when he was on. Wasn't he on TBS for a while or something? He was on TBS left. for a while after losing I watched his some Tonight of, Show game. I watched some of that. Like, not mm-hmm. a lot, but some. I'm not a big talk show guy, man. It's not really... I it, it wasn't something that really appealed to me for a long time. And in fact, I don't think I watched any talk shows regularly until Jesus and Marrow. I think that was the right. first talk show I watched on a and regular And then they basis. betrayed you by having a falling out. Yeah, it really bummed me. I'm like 100%. You say it like a joke, but I'm like, those motherfuckers. Uh, Liam, if you were, say, in your 60s and you had joint issues, um, how how taken would you be by this commercial and this product of Can Do? I don't know. I, I think in 99, we were all a little more susceptible to the idea that there were special pills that could solve everything. Like, sure. I feel like, I feel like, by the time I'm actually the, old enough for something like this, I'm so skeptical of everything that I'm going to need an actual medical professional to recommend it. But in 99, I mean, shit, if I had painful knees as a 20-something, I would have ordered this. Like, I, I was I was pretty down for anything. I, I ordered all kinds of once – I, once I had my own credit cards, I'd order all kinds of weird shit that, like, it turned out to be dumb and not really a good idea, you know? Well, this particular pill contains a high dose of glucosamine, which, according to the Mayo Clinics, is a natural compound found in cartilage, the tough tissue that cushions joints. So maybe it would help. Maybe it's not even a bunch of nonsense being pushed to, onto us by George Kennedy. How about you, Sarah? If you were, uh, if you were, I mean, look, frankly, my knee started hurting when I was hit 20 years old. But if you were in your 60s and you see George Kennedy pull, pop out of that pool, would, uh, would you be convinced to pick up uh, some can-do? Uh, no, it would be mm. can-don't. Oh boy! Would be, would be uh, yeah. No, I'm none more taken with that. Mm-mm. What what supplements should we be purchasing, Sarah? None. None. No, it's all scam. Just get get whatever the Liver King says. I'm sure he's reliable, right? <laughs> There's been no fallout there. I'm sure that's fine. Hey, can I just say I realized and I looked it up while we were talking. Craig Kilborn came on the air and took over for Tom Schneider in 1999. Right. So ah. that is who I was watching because he smoking hot and super tall and i was watching him he he was more my speed than conan was i mean i sorry I, uh, that sorry did you say craig kilborn or craig ferguson craig kilborn right he had the show first and then yes that's uh, right craig, kilborn, craig ferguson. Uh, ferguson took over which i also it's, loved him as well 
I love Craig Ferguson. I did not particularly care for Craig Kilborn. And but when you said that he was smoking hot, my brain was still thinking uh, Craig Ferguson, and I'm like, that's an interesting <laughs> way to he's describe him. Hand, he's he's a handsome man. Look, I'm not yeah. knocking him. It's just not the first thing that I would necessarily think about. Yeah. Is all. Uh, I, Liam, also, who, I also want please. to point out in 2000 was when they started showing reruns of Iron Chef on basic cable. Oh, and that yes. became my late night show, like more than anything else was like, yes, just put Iron Chef. on. That's what we're doing. To, like, I would sometimes cancel plans if I knew people were going to be watching Iron Chef so I could hang out and watch Iron Chef. Listeners, great. listeners, what do you what did you like to watch? In the later <laughs> evenings, in the late 90s, early 2000s, if you were indeed alive, which, let's face it, you probably were. Uh, why don't you leave us a, a comment through our social media or on cinemasmoresport.com. Sarah and Liam, we need to take a break. When we return, this is a movie that uh, I, I can't remember. I, I actually just need to get a little update from the, all of you. Was this a first-time watch for all of us, starting with you, Sarah? Um, I think, I, I feel like I might have seen it just because of the name, but sure. I misassociated it with something else because I thought it was like a comedy and I thought maybe I'd seen it at the drive-in, but having Ooh, watched it last, yeah, but having watched it last night, I, I don't think I have. If, if and, I had, this was almost like a first watch for me. And Liam, this was the first watch for you? 100% I had heard the name before but I had no idea what it was about and was really surprised when it when I figured out what it was about it's just <laughs> not what I had pictured this movie was going to be exactly and, and it was a first watch for me as well so now I'm extra excited let us take a break when we return 1974's Thunderbolt and Lightfoot let each of us study to approve ourselves <laughs> together you're 10 years too late you stick with me kid you're gonna live forever brought back some extra goodies are you out of your mind With the help of an irreverent young sidekick, a bank robber gets his old gang back together to organize a daring new heist. It's Thunderbolt and Lightfoot from the year 1974, directed and written by the great Michael Cimino. This was the movie that kind of broke him as a director. Uh, broke him in a good way, I should say. He was a writer previously. <laughs> had co-written the scripts for Silent Running and Magnum Force, the, of course, the Dirty Harry sequel, which is what got him this gig. And, of course, he would go on to direct The, the Deer Hunter and eventually <laughs> destroy his entire career and basically the entire 70s studio system with 1980s. <laughs> Eighties Heaven's Gate. Uh, after that, he, he of course went on to make other films before passing away in 2016. But he's kind of best known as someone who, who you know, he was one of those '70s auteurs that went was right alongside Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese. Uh, but uh, you know, the Heaven's Gate it became a shorthand. Even the, the the name became a shorthand for a giant disaster. What isn't a disaster? I would say is. Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, though we'll see if you both agree with me. The cast is stacked from top to bottom. Clint Eastwood, Jeff Bridges, George Kennedy as Red Leary, Jeffrey Lewis, of course. Also small appearances from Catherine Bach from the Dukes of Hazard, Gary Busey, uh, Burton Gilliam from uh, Blazing Saddles is here in one very memorable scene, as well as Dub <laughs> Taylor. A lot of familiar faces just show up briefly in this, but it's really about that relationship between Thunderbolt, played by Clint Eastwood, and Lightfoot, played by Jeff Bridges. Now let's get into it. I, I, I'm just going to say up front, 
I fucking loved this movie. I could not have enjoyed it more. You could not have wiped a smile off my face. I found it so ridiculously entertaining. I just was on board with just about every single thing that happened. I love heist movies. I love bank robbery movies. I love buddy movies. I love getting the gang back together movies. This was just entirely my shit all the way through. So to get a different take on the subject matter, <laughs> let's start with you, Liam. What did you think of Thunderbolt and Lightfoot? So uh, when I mm. checked this movie... <laughs> When I checked this movie out on Wikipedia, because I realized that other than Deer Hunter, I didn't know anything about this director, really. Like, I I, I knew um, the name, but I, I wasn't sure why I knew it. And so I went and I was reading the Wikipedia, and they had the whole section on reception, right? And it had all these examples of critics at the time when this came out who, like, thought it was pleasant enough, but that it was not great, that it kind of was meandering and uh took too long to get to the end and uh, uh particularly gene siskel yeah i was gonna was mention gene siskel was not, yeah he was not a fan yeah he really thought it was a nihilistic film which you know as a as a as a viewer in 2023 i'm like hey gene did you watch any other movies from the 70s because there's a vibe <laughs> my man like what the fuck uh that so that being said i think on a certain level i kind of feel what they're saying because it, it did take its time and I and I did find myself sort of thinking at a certain point, this is taking a bit longer than maybe it needs to. That being said, I still found it really charming. It, it was one of those weird experiences where I found my mind kind of split, where part of me felt like the film was taking longer than it needed to. On the other hand, I found most of that time just kind of engaging and charming and interesting. Uh, sure. I, I understand why someone watching it might feel like the movie lacks a kind of like moral center if you <laughs> care about that sort of thing. But I don't, it's not that I never do, but just in this case, I just, I didn't. Uh, I felt like there was a lot of, not like a direct sort of engagement with, but sort of a, a, a tertiary engagement with, um, male relationships as depicted in other films, you know, and uh, the ways that there, there are all these different connections between uh, these men. And I found that interesting to think about. I don't know how much of that was intentional and how much of that was just an effect of, of the script, but it wasn't like a purposeful deconstruction or anything like that. It doesn't really matter. It just gave me stuff to think about. Um, I, you know, I, there's probably a version of this movie that's a little bit edited and a little bit more direct uh that would still be pretty good maybe uh but for me i don't know something about the combo of the pacing and these performances uh i really like this movie a lot too doug i don't know you sound like over the moon and i was a little i'm more... so over the moon Liam. The, the idea that, that <laughs> this movie is able to take a tangent like a 20 minute tangent where these guys all have to get little pit piddly jobs in order to afford to do the job that they want, the bank robbery that they're trying to do, to me is so funny and so amazing and exactly on, the sort of shit that would be the first thing on the cutting room floor if it was being made. On paper, I hate that. In reality, <laughs> that gave us... Uh, 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 what, what's the line to the kid? The, uh, uh, oh, go we gotta fuck get a this duck. line. Yeah, go fuck a duck. <laughs> kid, go fuck a duck. Look, kid. Go fuck a duck. That that between that and the uh, the the Chekhov's gun of the dogs being unleashed <laughs> in the department store, <laughs> right? The whole job sequence is worth it for those two moments. 
honestly. Uh, plus, uh, uh, what is it? Gary Busey shows up. Is that That's right? That's right. Gary Busey shows up to get his just truck a stolen. Psych- <laughs> just a fucking psychotic. Uh, 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 can- well, it's not a cameo, really, because nobody knows who he is. But uh, you know, sh- uh, a performance from Gary Busey where it's just like, this is someone who's going to be eventually so famous. Seeing him in this random role just was really weird, you know. And uh, and honestly, like I just gotta say, young Jeff Bridges, right? Like. Look, you're not, you're not, look, uh, if you're expecting pushback on the idea that Jeff Bridges as a young man was an incredibly handsome and charming performer, you're not going to get it here. Even my wife, who was, you know, she just was in the room while I was watching most of this. When she saw Jeff Bridges, she was like, my God, he was, he was handsome. It's hard not to think about it. The guy was unbelievably handsome. Okay, to to be fair, I don't want to suggest that old Jeff Bridges isn't handsome, but in my experience, often when men have the grizzled handsome of old Jeff Bridges, they aren't as beautiful as an angel as a young man. And and no, this man has been hot. He was hot then, and he'll be hot probably – right before he leaves this mortal coil like the man is just an attractive man and i shouldn't be surprised but i really was like oh shit i guess it's because also he's not just attractive right he's also a very charming and engaging performer and he really understands this role and i think he really nails the role so yes it's positive all around like i don't want to say i didn't like it but i did find myself maybe because i was watching it for a reason, right? right? Like I'm watching it for this podcast. I want to get it done and I want to be totally focused. I don't want to watch it while I'm doing other things, right? So it's like I'm here, I'm in this moment. It's a long movie, Doug. Like it's I long. just Absolutely. it's it's not a short film and I'm not convinced that all of it needs to be there, but I think I just like these folks together so much. I'm just being forgiving of a movie that's a bit longer than it needs to be so i don't don't know maybe maybe i am maybe i'm not i'm not sure still seems like a strong recommendation to me sarah i know that you go a little up and down on the quality of the movies that we've covered so far and george kennedy is my (laughs) co-pilot with the exception of course of cool hand luke what was your experience with thunderbolt and lightfoot well i wasn't sure what to expect like i thought it was going to be in my head some other kind of clint eastwood um any which way you can one of those (laughs) dumb things but so when it started, I'm like, okay, yes, Jeff Bridges smoking hot. I mean, just gorgeous and really natural too. Like I don't feel like he's acting if that makes sense. Yeah, feel it feels like, like it feels him. like on off screen and on, he's very similar to this personality. Yeah. And I will say that I had watched uh, another movie with him that came out uh like a year before this one called The Last American Hero. Mm-hmm. where he's um, the stock car racer, Junior Johnson. And he, uh, he he was great in that also. And so if you liked Young Jeff Bridges, you should watch that because he's just all over that and he's really great. Um, so I knew about Young Jeff Bridges. And so I thought it was just going to be a buddy movie. You know, I'm like, okay, so we're going to follow these two guys who, you know, are like total opposites but we're going to follow their adventure and they were just going to do nothing like, you know, go into a town, steal a car, go somewhere else. I thought that's what it was going to be. Yeah. Like a road movie, right? Yeah. And then, you know, Montana is like another character in this movie. Yeah. Cause it's like, I know such a weird setting, you know, who's going to put a movie there. And so I thought that's what it was just going to be. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get, 
uh, George Kennedy and uh, Jeffrey Lewis. And then they describe the bank stuff or whatever. And I'm like, oh, it's that. So it took a long time to get there. And I'm not sure I needed the heist. I like the bank. I liked it, but it was just like I was watching two different movies. It is kind of two different movies because the idea that they're being chased by Jeffrey Lewis and uh, George Kennedy, the idea that they would end up then getting together with them to pull off this heist. You're right. It feels like two movies kind of stitched together. Uh, And and there's like almost a exact halfway mark of the movie is where they stitched together. Right. And my husband watched it with me and he started to doze off and he's like, okay, I got to get something to eat. Just keep it going. You know, that's his thing. Just keep it going. Don't pause. And so then he came back and it was he loved the second half or the second act he thought that was the best and like you and like me i love the part where they all got their different jobs you know (laughs) i could have watched that for another hour that's a good idea for a movie right like you can't afford to pull off the heist or the bank robbery without a certain amount of money to to get like all the supplies and shit so you could do like 90 percent of a movie of just people trying to make money so they can do a robbery yeah so i i really like that and then you know the bank heist itself it's like well i mean they pulled it off and it was great but i that's not what I was for or not sure. what I thought I was getting when I started. And so it was like, what? And I did have a problem with how did George Kennedy always know where they were? It's not like he could put a skip trace on any of these cars. You know, he stole that one and then he ditched the license plate and then 20 minutes go by and then he shows up and they're like in a totally different town, yeah. in a totally different state. And so I was like, okay, wait a minute. You know, and then my husband's like, well, you just knock it off and try to enjoy it for what it is. And I'm like, no, you know, it was it, it, that it was bothering me because I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> I, it is one of the things that was notable while I was watching it. And again, my wife mentioned this as well. Like in the 70s, it was so much easier just to disappear. Right. You could go to yeah. another town and start again. I mean, their only difficulty was not being able to give their social uh, security numbers and stuff like that. Yeah. But I mean. They, they were able yeah go to the next town and 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 you know especially if you're a criminal <laughs> it seems like it's shockingly easy to get away with things I can see the point that he was making I did consider that myself but I just chalked it up to movie magic and one of the nice things about this movie is that it turns back into the buddy comedy at the very end for another bonus 20 minutes at the end even if yes. even if Liam has already spoiled that it's not the most happy ending <laughs> at the very end no but I could see it because my husband was like what and I'm like it- he got fucked up, you know. Yeah. I said he needs yeah. to go to a hospital. What are they doing? And then you know, it just got worse. And I'm, I'm like, what? And then he's like, I wonder. Arm. And I'm like, I, oh shit. Like I figured it out quickly that when he was starting to feel the effects of the beating, yeah. that that's what was happening. But I like that they don't just spell it out. They don't just be like, oh my god, brain damage or brain bleeding from the from the ass kicking he got. But just the idea that George Kennedy gave him that extra kick to the head simply because. Yep. He was such an asshole to him in the entire movie. He was. And, it's just, he and then it's just like, well, that ended up costing you. Maybe maybe uh, that uh, complaint about being nihilistic isn't so off after all, uh, Liam. Sarah, just <laughs> sticking with you for a second. Sarah, have you ever been to Montana? I have not. Montana, the big sky state, Liam. How about yourself? No, I, I really haven't. And it's not just Montana, but there's a 
a whole variety of states out that way uh-huh. that are <laughs> utterly unfamiliar to me. And, and I don't like that. Like, I, I, I've always wanted to do the kind of road trip where you try to cover as much of the United States as you can. And sure. I've, never, I've never done it. I've never done it. And it, it's, a, it's a bummer to me. Liam, have you ever gotten lucky in Kentucky? <laughs> have you ever no. been to Kentucky? <laughs> yes. Okay, that's not bad. That's one of the states. One of yeah. those states. I've been to I've been to uh, Louisville, Louisville, right? You've been everywhere, man, right? That's where you've been to Louisville, <laughs> Montana. <laughs> I gotta say, uh, you mentioned the big sky. I'm in Texas. Uh, I'm not from Texas. I'm from LA. So right. I was always surrounded by mountains. We love mountains. it. Sorry. Yes. It's the best. So you're always surrounded by mountains. There's always something there. And so uh, driving across the country to Texas, sometimes you're in just in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing. And I got to tell you, with just flat land and the sky is terrifying. Interesting. It's oppressive. It's weird because there's nothing there, but it's really oppressive and I hate it. And it's so, funny because some people would say it's the opposite of that, right? The idea of all this openness is what gives it. I mean, it's called the big sky, but when you hear that, you feel terrified at this giant sky coming at you. Yes. When I, yeah. we lived in New Mexico for a little bit and my in-laws lived uh, up in the mountains. And if you were up there, it was... It, I don't know, it was like 7,000 feet, 10,000 feet. I don't know, it was it was above sea level, it was high. And if it was a clear night, the sky, you could see all the stars, and uh, that also was terrifying to me. I, I was out there, my husband's like, look at this, this is gorgeous. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> right back inside, I don't want to know, I don't like it. I got it, I got it. I got to agree with you on that one. When I when I was just when I was just out of high school was the first time that I drove across the Midwest. And when we got out of Ohio and into Indiana and it was like just fields and there were no hills or buildings or anything, it I was like what the fuck is going on? Like it was unsettling to me. It and, is. Thank you. And I just I remember thinking like and what's really funny is this was in, uh, speaking of 99, I think this was in 99 or 98, something like that. And so we were listening to a lot of like uh, Midwest style emo. And I was like, oh, this is why everyone whines in this music because it's really weird out here. <laughs> it just was not, I was unfamiliar with that, Doug. Where I grew up, you'd look in a direction and there'd be buildings or a hill. And then in the other directions, more buildings and a hill. Uh-huh. You would never see the sky just go all the way down. That's a weird thing. I didn't think I'd be in the minority on this, but I like the sky. <laughs> hey, I like How it. How dare in, you? Hey, I, I, I like it in small doses washed out by the lights of the city. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, I mentioned already that there are a lot of familiar faces uh, in supporting uh, roles in Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. I wanted to get uh, both of your take. If there was any that particularly stuck out to you, Liam, you already mentioned Gary Busey. May- I have some names listed here, but maybe it's not a name. Maybe it's just someone who shows up briefly. Maybe it's a face. There's just so many wonderful moments. And one of the ones I have listed here is Bill McKinney. He plays 
the at one point Thunderbolt and Lightfoot they don't have any vehicle uh, and no money so they are hitchhiking and they get picked up by a complete <laughs> maniac with a raccoon in a cage and a trunk full of rabbits just the wildest character that you could come up with and he's played by Bill McKinney who also played the redneck rapist from Deliverance uh, quite a quite a career a, a character actor career <laughs> Um, uh, going over to you, Sarah. Any uh, any supporting performances that stuck out to you? Well, I will say during the credits, you know, it was like Clint Eastwood, Jeff Bridges. Uh, you get George Kennedy at the end, but then it's like Catherine Bach, and so I yeah, thought that's right. he was. Just the names are so prominent. I thought, oh wow, you know, she's <laughs> going to go along for the whole thing, and she's only in it for like one scene. Everybody, I thought exactly the same thing. Scene. When you hear about this movie and it lists the people in it, she's usually like in the top four. And it's so funny because like, I mean, it's still, it's still probably the most prominent female part in the entire movie, but she's in one scene. You're exactly right. But she is memorable. Yeah. And I will, uh, I always have to give a shout out to Dub Taylor because mm-hmm. um, I, he usually plays the same character in every movie. A lot of Westerns. He, yes. And uh, I used to watch Little House in the Prairie when I was younger. And so uh-huh. he was a regular on that. So that's where I know him from. But, I mean, he shows up here as the gas station attendant. And uh, He's so and the guy's getting the Not that one! <laughs> you know, or whatever he said. Nope. Anyway, uh, we have a movie on our channel called Country Blue. And it's this really obscure um, movie where this comic gets out of jail. And he's just trying to make it. And Tom Taylor plays, like, the owner of a gas station. And the uh, convict like loves the uh, his daughter, and his name is Jumpy, and so he wears this most grimy T-shirt. It's like for Champion Spark Plugs or something, and it's white. But I mean, you know, it was white at one point, but he wears it all the time, and you know, it's like a hundred degrees and it's hot. Right? <laughs> it's just insane. Anyway, so I love the Taylor. How about you, Liam? Anyone stick out in uh, supporting performers? So, um, Burton Gilliam is listed as welder. Is that the guy who tells a story about dropping his cock in the other guy's hand? <laughs> I took out my pecker. You can always recognize him, right? Because he got those big yeah. teeth. And he, uh, I mean, most yeah. famously from Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, also one of the Flying Elvises from Honeymoon in Vegas, one of my favorite Nicolas Cage movies. But yes, oh. takes his pecker out, puts it in that guy's hand. That... I mean, besides besides just that's a fun way for us to learn about the guy and the thing, it's also he's so sure that this is – he's the funniest man who's ever lived. And the reason he's the funniest man who's ever lived is because one time he took out his private parts and put it in the hand of another man who was not interested in holding his private parts, and that is the height of comedy. And it's, and it's, a, it's one of those moments where – at the time, I'm sure there were people watching it who thought, oh, that's real funny. Uh, but <laughs> in 2023, I think men are fucked, huh? Like there's they something sure wrong are. with men. Like there's something <laughs> deeply unhealthy about our gender. If, if at any point in the last hundred years, that story didn't make someone go. What the fuck did you? What the fuck is wrong with you, right? But instead, everyone's like, oh, "That's a fu-. well." It's just Clint. He's telling the story too. But apparently, he was with a bunch of dudes at the time, and none of those dudes were like, "Hey, man, stop doing that with your dick." Like they all thought it was great, which is again, what the fuck is wrong with men, man? That's a weird story. Just, he's just relaxed about his pecker. <laughs> That's why. Yeah, maybe he's more open. 
yeah, maybe in some ways he's more progressive. You know? If if the story was, I I put my dick in his hand and this guy didn't even think to jerk me off because he was so uncomfortable with my dick, <laughs> that would be a different story. But it was like I really belittled this guy by putting my dick on him. I just like, it's like I sure wait, showed what? him. <laughs> yeah, I showed. I, I look at that look on your him. face. You have my dick in your hand. <laughs> It's so it's the weirdest thing. And then the fact that it goes from that scene to show us that this guy looks at nudie magazines. I'm like, okay, what's even happening right now? Uh, speaking of those nudie magazines and that particular character, of course, he later gets uh, um, wooed by Jeff Bridges in drag. Uh, Jeff Bridges, not only an attractive man in this, but also a pretty attractive female as well. Wonderful performance from Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges was nominated for a Best Supporting Actor Academy Award for this film. Uh, nobody else in the cast got nominated. I wanted to ask you just quickly, Liam, do you think that this is a supporting role? or is, I thought he was co-lead. I mean, it's him and Clint Eastwood all the way. 100% co-lead. I The idea... I mean, this... So here's the thing, Doug. Oh, I boy, do, you're angry. I, no, 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 no. I'm not angry. I do wonder if this is one of the reasons the movie got such pushback. Like, for me, right... The way that the movie ends, which I did spoil for everyone, and I'm sorry that Jeff Bridges passes away, and we have this, you know, this scene of Clint Eastwood driving off with a young dead man in his passenger seat. Uh-huh. I wonder if not only did that bum people out so hard that they couldn't really vibe with the rest of the movie because it felt like, what even in that is the fucking point? But I wonder if also that's one of the reasons where people started to think of it like it's Clint Eastwood's movie because he's just there to be the sidekick and then die. And it, all that matters is Clint Eastwood at the end. Oh. And and I don't think that's real for the movie. In fact, I feel like he's more compelling. But maybe that's also the thing where the, the Clint, Clint Eastwood's role is either to be amused or uh, gruffly perturbed. And until they find the money, he has no other emotion. There's nothing going on with him other than him being like, ha kid, or oh, kid. Or, and, and, and in other situations, too, he's either amused by Red or he's angry at Red, whether Red is busting a joke or trying to murder him. And he doesn't really do much else emotionally until they find the money, which is actually that scene where they find the money. It's kind of emotional more than you right. would think because it's sure. the only time Clint Eastwood's character is like shows another emotion that's that that's all you get <laughs> except for when he's preaching at the beginning because he's a pretty he's a pretty uh believable preacher actually that, uh, I was gonna say that maybe he wasn't the most believable preacher because he's, <laughs> right. he's so like he's so hard you know, I can't quote anything with the Bible like you probably can Liam uh but uh, he's saying it through those gridded fucking Clint Eastwood teeth <laughs> No, that seems fine. I mean, he's he, you forget you, you forget Doug. He's in Montana preaching to white people, so it's like no, nah, yeah, mean, that's about true. Right. The, the the crowd that he's talking to are so perfect in how they, they all look like what's his name yeah. Eustace Perkle, the fucking preacher from uh, the like religious films from the nineteen seventies. No, you're exactly right. How about you, uh, Sarah? You think that uh, should have been a co lead? Maybe. I mean, what they were probably doing is is hedging their bets because Clint Eastwood thought he was going to get a Best Actor nomination for this film. Uh, and so he probably figured, oh, Clint Eastwood in the lead, Jeff Bridges in the uh, Best Supporting. We'll both walk away with an Oscar. What did you think here? Well, didn't the movie start off with Jeff Bridges? Wasn't yes, he like it the does. first person we saw? And so sure. to me, it's his movie. And Clint Eastwood is just along for the ride. But they switch <laughs> it at one point because Jeff Bridges says to him like, hey, I just want to hang out with you, you know? 
I like this vibe. I want to keep talking to you. I mean, it's kind of refreshing that he was so open. I thought so just, too, where he's like, I want to be your friend, man. Right. I yeah. think that was a really nice thing. Yeah. So I guess right there is, is when it switched, but to me, no, he's, he's definitely a lead. Sarah, what did you think of the Paul Williams song that was written for Thunder? I wrote a note for that. Thank you for bringing it up. I thought it was great. Uh, I wish where I do I go it. from here? Yes. Love Paul Williams. And so when it started, I thought we were going to get a long credit scene, but it was really quick. It was like actors, written, produced, directed, out. And I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> and so, you know, you get the reprise of the song at the end. Right. But yeah, no, I thought it was great. How about you, Liam? I know it's not your kind of music because no one is butting their head against the microphone. But uh, what did you think of Where Do I Go From Here by Paul Williams? I didn't notice. What <laughs> There's I, like a montage about uh, yeah. about quarter of the way, maybe halfway through the movie, and then it's played again during the closing credits. You, of course, love Paul Williams. I mean, I love Phantom of the Paradise, Paradise but I, 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 but other than that, I, I don't know one way or the other, right? Like, Well, you, we've already talked about one song on one of our podcasts, Liam. It's called The Rainbow Connection. Written by Paul Williams. <gasps> oh, that song makes oh, me Oh, that's the best song ever written. So, yes, I love Paul so, Williams. Uh, point for me, uh, I guess. Uh, um, <laughs> oh, I, for, I forgot this was—I forgot this was a fucking contest. You know? <laughs> Everything's a contest, Liam. Uh, I, I've already kind of—I was going to talk about the heist, which uh, I really enjoy, mostly because in movies like this, you usually get a scene where they carefully explain the heist, which they do in this movie, and then everything goes wrong. And but in this yes. movie, most of it goes off without a fucking hitch. And yeah. it's only it's only afterwards where all they have to do is go into a drive-in movie theater and just stay there. That's where things get fucked up because the personalities are the problem. And one of the big personalities and maybe the biggest personality in this movie is, of course, George Kennedy, who we'll be talking about in just a second. Uh, but any other thoughts, Liam, on the heist itself? Is that something – are you a heist guy? You like those heist movies? You know, I – I don't know enough of them to have a strong opinion. Like there's sure. a few, there's a few I like. So, um, oh, my, my mind, it just went away from me, but the George Clooney movie with Ocean's 11 and its sequels. No, not Ocean's <laughs> 11. Are you talking about the, uh, uh, out of sight? Yes. I love out of sight. Well, you know what? Let's go back on that. I do like Ocean's 11. I don't know why I said it like, no, of course not. Ocean's 11 is fine, but I don't love Ocean's <laughs> They're 11. all directed by the same person who directed out of sight. <laughs> I, I know, but to me, out of sight is a is for, okay. I enjoy out of sight as a heist movie more than Ocean's 11. Sure. I enjoy Ocean's 11 for the style of it all, but sure. I don't really care about it whereas I, at least at the time i haven't watched it in a long time but uh, you know for a while out of sight was a pretty important movie to me uh but th this is a genre doug that goes beyond that like i remember liking the uh like ronin is that a heist was that be considered a heist yeah movie? i think so absolutely yeah so i like ronin but like it's not a genre where if you were like name me 20 heist movies i could i don't know that i could whereas like a lot of other things i could name 20 off the top of my head easy you know what i mean I mean, Thief isn't really a heist movie, but it's got a heist element to it. I mean, they, I mean, it's mostly it's it certainly has heists in it. You like Thief? I I, I mean, I love Thief, but I love it for the look. The heist doesn't mean anything to to me in that movie. What I care about the is content, how it yeah, looks. I you like Logan Lucky? You like that movie? 
you know what? I think it's funny, but I for I the next day I saw it in the theater. The next day, if you'd ask me what it was about, I'd be like, I don't fucking know. Like I had fun watching it, but it didn't stick with me at all. And I still see people occasionally talk about it. I'm like, which one's that again? Like I I watched it in the fucking theater and I don't remember any of it. It's so funny though that I'm trying like I'm coming up with uh, heist movies to throw at Liam. All except for one, directed by Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> oh, was Logan uh, Lucky a Steven Soderbergh? Movie oh yeah, too? absolutely. Fuck, I don't, I didn't remember that at all. How about you, Sarah? Are you a heist movie person? I am, and I got to say, my favorite is, uh, and excuse my French, Le Cirque Rouge. Oh, of with course. Alain Delon and um, who else is that? Jean Maria Valente. <gasps> I love him. Because um, that heist takes like a half an hour. It's like really long. And there's like incredible helicopter shots, and there are train. There's all. Kinds it's of funny shit you going say on. that because it seemed like earlier you were upset at how long the heist in this movie took. Mm, I think because I, I wasn't <laughs> expecting it. No, I didn't have a problem with how long it took. I, that it was, was just, that wasn't a gotcha, Sarah. I just. Oh, it was yeah, I was like, did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just I wasn't expecting it to be a heist movie. But yeah, no, I, I love Le Cirque Rouge. One of my favorites. I mean, some of the French heist movies like Rafifi and uh, Bob the Gambler and stuff like that. I mean, they're yeah. they're all classics of the genre, though very different than the kind of heist movie that we're talking about here. Correct. Correct. No one speaks uh, French. No, no one kidding. speaks French. Uh, so we already talked. We, uh, we were going to talk about the ending, but the ending ending is that George Kennedy beats the shit out of Jeff Bridges until he gets brain damage and dies. But I wanted to talk about what happens before that, which is that you have the heist. They uh, go to the drive-in movie. George Kennedy, uh, his shirt is sticking out the back uh, because him and uh, Jeffrey Lewis are hiding in the trunk. Is sticking out the back. The people working at the drive-in notice. I figured that they were just uh, thinking that someone was trying to sneak into the drive-in, which is a very common thing that people did at the time. Maybe it was. But it just caused an extra bit of suspicion that made everyone very angry, uh, that the police started to get uh, suspicious because they were already searching the nearby robbery. And uh, then it all fucking turns to shit. And as it's turning to shit, George Kennedy first, after Jeffrey Lewis's character gets shot, he just, even though they were seem to be very close through the movie, he just pitches his not-quite-dead corpse out of the back of the uh, vehicle, uh, and then he uh, basically steals the car with the money from Jeff Bridges and Clint Eastwood's character, and proceeds to almost immediately run into the police, just the most incompetent <laughs> guy in the entire world, before... <laughs> Getting torn apart by a wild dog. Quite an uh, exit for Mr. George Kennedy in this. Uh, we'll talk about his, again, his performance and his character in just a second. But what did uh, both of you think of the ending starting with, with you, Liam? I'm talking specifically about what happens before the uh, the denouement with uh, them finding the money in the house, the schoolhouse. I mean, it's funny to have a heist where, as you said, it all kind of comes together. And then we're in the drive-in and... There are parts in the movie where I felt some amount of compassion for George Kennedy because it, it does feel like Jeff Bridges, as beautiful as he is, is kind of fucking with him more yeah. than he needs to. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it feels like he's got it coming, right? Like, or I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm with Jeff on this one. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, they they were introduced to each other with George Kennedy shooting at his head. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so you know, I, I so I, tr- I try to be, I, I, through a lot of the movie, I'm kind of like, okay, George Kennedy, like he's a bit of a dickhead, but whatever. But he's losing it so quickly. Yeah. The way that the film saves all the anxiety that you should be feeling during the heist 
for this fucking drive-in. Where if he would just shut the fuck up, they might be okay. Yeah. It like it really freaked me out. And it was the only part of the movie, like, you know, there's a whole chase scene prior when he's trying to kill them and there's mm-hmm. a few other exciting moments of the movie. Nothing really bubbed me out or or gave me a sense of anxiety until this scene, Doug, where it's just right. like Oh, God damn it. Come on. And then he takes Get the car. Get your shit together. <laughs> now, I got to say, though, once he took the car, I just knew he was going to die. So I just yeah. was waiting for that to happen. And the fact that it involved the dogs was just a, a real, yeah. you know, just <laughs> a, yeah, that's, I dig that, you know. Uh, but before that, you know, I if the movie had gone a more positive direction, you know, that might have felt cheap to some people, you know, and it certainly would be a different vibe than I expect from this kind of movie from this time period. But if it had, I don't, for me, I wouldn't, I would have been okay with that. Uh, or if they had had some other way of maybe things not working out, this was for me good, but the highest anxiety version of what could happen. Right. You know, it's funny. This movie feels like it's very much in the same mold as uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, right? I mean, a movie that has this uh, the buddy set up in the uh, two people kind of bonding, and then at the end has this kind of downer, semi-nihilistic ending. And that feels like the kind of thing that was very prototypical of this era. But if this movie was to come out in 1985 instead, that there's no way that the studios would let Jeff Bridges' character die. That they'd have to get away with it, if only because they then could have a sequel or many sequels. <laughs> just you know, just hoping that they would get a franchise out of it. Um, and in some ways, you know, the very fact that this is a '70s movie that has a very '70s ending is one of the things that I most liked about it. But I see what your point is. Uh, it, I don't know how nihilistic the ending. At least he gets away with the money. <laughs> at least that's something. It looked for a little while that like they weren't going to have anything <laughs> to show for all the shit that they went through. But I guess it depends on how much you enjoy money and how important it is to you. Sarah, what did you think of the ending uh, pre them finding that money? I, excuse me. I um, I agree with Liam uh, that you know for all their planning to have your fucking shirt tail hanging out of the back of the. I mean that's such an easy fix. But he was so uptight in there. And so I was like, he's got to die. And then, I mean, is he the worst driver or what? You know, he kicks <laughs> them out. And then he's just driving through roadblocks. He runs over a couple motorcycle cops. Uh, but then the shot where he was heading toward the department store, I wasn't sure that was the one he worked at. But as he was heading there, I was like, <laughs> it was like the Leo DiCaprio meme where he points at the yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once upon a time, I was like, the dogs. And then my husband laughed at me, and then he crashed, and then the dogs. So, you know. I I have to bring up just something very quickly before we talk about George Kennedy, which is something that my wife thought was the most unusual part of this movie, which is there's a point in the movie where both Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges buy ice cream. Uh, They buy pistachio ice cream. Ice cream, yes. Yeah. And uh, and Jeff Bridges, the way that he eats that ice cream is he starts, again, it's one scoop and a cone, by putting his entire mouth around the entire <laughs> ice cream and like kind of just like swirling his mouth around it and then coming off of it that way. The most unusual way I've ever seen anyone eat an ice cream cone in a movie before. Any thoughts on that, Liam? I really stopped and thought... <laughs> Did people change the way they ate ice cream when ice cream got bigger? Like it's such right. a sm- it's such a small scoop, right? That's true. Most of the scoops you can get today, 
you would have to have an insane python mouth to fit it into your mouth. That's true. You're exactly so, right. So like it, it's only cuz the cone is so small and I I really did think maybe they ate ice cream different back in the day cuz it just <laughs> looked it it in a movie in which I felt very invested, even as I was worried it was a little longer than I wanted, I still was in it. Sure. It's the one moment in the whole movie where my brain went, no. And I was <laughs> I was out of the movie. I was that out of it. Weird. That was, maybe maybe it's the way we eat ice cream in LA, but I that's how I used to eat ice cream because you the put the whole fucking st- thing in your mouth. <laughs> What if you had had two scoops? What if you had two scoops? Well, I mean, you could put your mouth around the first scoop, then I imagine. I mean, (laughs) it's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. There's a a drugstore, or it used to be called Thrifties. I don't know what it's called now. It's Rite Aid. And they used to have an ice cream counter. And you could go and get a cone. (laughs) And they had the, you, if you look it up, look up like Thrifty Ice Cream Scoop, and you'll see it. And so you would get this cone. It was like 15 cents for one scoop. And the ice cream was soft like the one he had because it was hot and it was melty. So you'd have to kind of put your mouth all the way around it really quick just to be able to make sure there was no drips. And then you would work your way around it. Maybe it's about growing up in a hot place, right? I did not grow up in a very warm place. I see what you're saying. It is a little bit more... um, because of the shape of this of this thrifty scoop, it's a little bit easier to wrap your mouth around it. Right. Uh, well, he, I mean, he got his from an ice cream truck, which at the point when I was growing up, you didn't get a soft serve like that. You just got like a bomb pop or some, um, you know, kind of flavored ice thing, yeah. not actual Certainly. ice cream. Right, right, right. right. Of course. But, but his, the scoop was small enough that that didn't bother me. So you guys are weird. It reminded me, there's an episode of Parks and Recreation where you discover that the people of – Pawnee, Indiana, when they drink from a water fountain, they put their entire mouths over the water fountain. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's all I can think about with that sequence. Anyway, obviously I'm getting a little off topic because we're here today to talk about George Kennedy as Red Leary. Red is uh, a, a figure from, from Clint Eastwood's past in this movie where they had actually uh, done the exact same robbery that they end up doing in this movie except afterwards uh the the person who i guess was running the whole show was the leader of the gang he ended up passing away there was a little bit of confusion george kennedy ended up having to go to jail for an earlier robbery and he thought that he was set up by clint eastwood so when he gets out not only does he want the money from the previous robbery but he also wants to get revenge for uh what he sees as, as clint eastwood sending him up the river so that's what that first like it looks like that's what the movie's going to be then they reconnect they i guess convince george kennedy that that is not what they uh what he thought was not what actually happened and they all get together until the big turn at the end george kennedy is called red leary because he has uh delightful red hair in this movie uh and also he he also carries with him a uh a kind of a boston-ish accent liam what did you think of george kennedy as red leary in thunderbolt and lightfoot i mean he's he's great at what he's he's you know what he's doing here is he's so angry he's so emotional <laughs> at, at one point like jeff bridges he's the easiest him, person to tease in the world right because yeah. he just yeah. goes completely off the handle yeah, yeah. I, and it's pretty clear maybe maybe i'm reading into it but my vibe was his anger level is tied to his level of intelligence he's not the smartest guy Correct. and when he feels frustrated by other people and situations anger is what he feels in, in that situation and you know and and i kind of like 
I appreciated all all of that. Uh, there's a moment where Jeff Bridges asks him why he tried to kill Clint Eastwood, and he says, "Because we was friends." And I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was really good. I, I really appreciated yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. I gotta say though, um, there's a real there, there's a real complicated relationship between George Kennedy and sex, right? Mm-hmm. When George Kennedy, do you shows mean the actor up, or the character? <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying between George Kennedy, the actor, and the way okay. the character he's playing is related to sex, because sure. George Kennedy is like a confident, uh, strong-willed man, and he's like, "I'm George Kennedy, and I like to fuck." I'm like, "Yeah, man, I feel you." <laughs> but George Kennedy in this movie is like, "Oh my god, it's a woman!" And oh my god, was she naked? Oh my god, yeah. oh this girl's yeah. naked. Oh my god. I never those moments. The both a when he's asking Jeff Bridges' character for details about this naked woman, and b when he walks in on this, uh, you know, it's not clear <laughs> if she's supposed to be a teenager or not. So that's also weird. But I this, think so. this girl is yeah. having sex, and the look on his face when he sees her naked body, I would like to never see that again. And it's so funny <laughs> because again, confident hey, George Kennedy. Just a reminder, Liam. His name is Red Leary. <laughs> Uh huh. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> you know, again, like one of these, one of these, uh, one of these movies where he's a fucking uh, 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 pilot or something, or a, a mechanic, or you know, maybe he's a secret agent. Any movie where he's a strongman and he's gonna walk in a room and be like, "Hey there, ladies." Nothing about that creeps me out. It's one of the things you might remember, Liam, from our airport episode. Is the one uh, home uh, detail that we get about George Kennedy is that he loves fucking his wife. Like that's yeah. His and nothing about that was weird. I was like, "Yeah, he does." All right. And then when he when he walks into this room and sees that girl, I was like, "Nope, this movie sucks. Fuck this movie." And, and when the scene was over, I was back in. I was okay. But like him as a leering, insecure creepster is like the grossest shit I've ever seen in my life. And it was the 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 one thing about this movie <laughs> that I really was like could do without and and uh and so like honestly that's good right it's a good performance it's what the character he's doing it, everything about it is a good performance but as a viewer I don't want that anymore and I don't want to see it again and I would like them to leave it out of future movies if that's the case it's like I just can't stand looking at George Kennedy as he's in this movie great performance all around yeah I mean it's probably a good thing a good thing that he ends up be, you know going back to being a villain later on because then you can justify all of his disgusting behavior with hey he was a bad guy <laughs> he's supposed to be gross <laughs> Sarah what did you think of George Kennedy as Red Leary um at some point, he just becomes a caricature of himself. And I so mean, yeah. he just plays, you know, I mean, I can see Red Leary in the commercial telling me to uh, can do, you know, can do. So <laughs> he's pretty repellent, I got to say. But I did like, I mean, like Liam said, he's he's not very smart. And so, you know, he's the muscle, but he's got to have somebody be the brains. But I like that Jeff Bridges picked up on that. And so he just like, the one point where they're all in the hotel room and then he pretends to kiss him. I mean, yes. he was so affronted by that. That's right. You know, he puts he put his, his hand over his mouth over and kisses him. him. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And so, you know, he got really upset and then he wiped his mouth as if he had actually <laughs> kissed him. He did. Yeah, he I was did. like, oh, come on. That was one of those <laughs> so, moments where I was like, I'm on Jeff Bridges' side on this one. Yeah, right? right? <laughs> so... You know, he, he's fine, but uh, I'm glad that, uh, you know, he was eaten by dogs. 
<laughs> Even the cops were like, ooh, that's that's gotta be rough. You know? They didn't even try to save him. They're just like, oh, that's you know. The, the cops are watching and just like, what a mess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love. He's not there to clean it up. <laughs> I love George Kennedy uh, as a villain in a movie of this kind of stature at this time period. It makes always makes me sad to think about that a decade later, he'd be struggling for roles like this, right? That he wouldn't be able yeah. to get in, into mainstream movies anymore. But at this, you know, he was still flying high, uh, literally and figuratively, in the airport <laughs> franchise at this point. So he was still, you know, a big deal. And I, I like it. I love seeing him. He can stack up against any of these actors. He plays sure. uh, he plays a great villain, and we haven't seen him in a lot of villainous roles so far either. So that was a lot of fun as well. I enjoyed it. I look, You could tell from everything I've said so far, I thought Thunderbolt and Lightfoot was an un- unbelievably entertaining movie. And I can see why, when I said, <laughs> once again, on social media that I was watching it, I got tons of people saying, I love that movie so much, you know. To me, when I think about it, sorry, what I should say is, when I think about this movie uh, from before I saw it, I always thought of it like a movie my father would love, which is not mm-hmm. a, a not a knock against it. It's just that he had, the, he loved Westerns, he loved um, uh, tough guy movies and stuff like that. And this movie does fit into it, but I think it has a little bit more texture. I think it has a little bit more uh, intelligence to it. It is supposed to be designed to be like a modern day Western. So maybe that's why the sensibility would have appealed to him as well. But I think it is a movie that almost anyone can find something to enjoy about. Unless you're a big uh, dingling, right, Liam? <laughs> dingling. What did George Kennedy say to that kid again? Hey, fuck kid, go, go fuck a duck. <laughs> A fantastic moment in the history of George Kennedy's career. <laughs> Speaking of the career of George Kennedy, on the next episode, uh, Liam, you may remember that uh, several episodes back of our Carol Kane podcast, Praising Kane, we covered a movie called, what was it, the horror comedy we watched? Pandemonium. Pandemonium. And I think I said on that episode that I had confused that movie with another movie, uh, another horror comedy from that uh, era called Wacko, directed by Graydon Clark. On the next episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot, we're going to watch it. Uh, it's 1982's Wacko, directed by Graydon Clark. has a great uh, uh, trailer that features George Kennedy, I believe, getting pelted with uh, cream pies. So that's interesting. Starring Joe Don Baker, Stella Stevens, and George Kennedy, it's Wacko. Liam, have you ever seen Wacko before? No, I don't know that I've ever even heard of it. I remember the trailer is in a lot of like trailer compilations, so I've seen the trailer, but I have never watched the movie in whole. As we talked about in our Pandemonium episode of uh, Praising Kane, this era had a lot of these horror comedies from Full Moon High, Saturday the 14th, uh, Student Bodies. This is one in that pile. I am a, a fan of this era of Graydon Clark and joysticks and whatnot. How about you, Sarah? You ever seen Wacko before? I haven't, but the thought of George Kennedy and Cream Pies, um, <laughs> that's a- I don't know. That's pretty scary. That'll have me leering like a George Kennedy character, I think. Uh, right, exactly. That. that sounds filthy. <laughs> but I do love, I'm looking at the poster here. I do love Joe Don Baker. I mean, you know, so, and I like Brayden Clark. So we'll, we'll see, you know. You know what? Hope springs eternal. I'm hoping that Wacko. I don't know why it has the title Wacko and then the same title in the same font right underneath it on the poster. What do I know? Uh, We'll check it out in the next episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot. Sarah Jane, if people want to check out your work, what you've been up to lately, uh, and of course your wonderful YouTube channel, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, I haven't been up to much lately, actually. South by Southwest was like my big thing. And so, um, but the channel always going uh it's white slaves of chinatown 3d on youtube and we have uh 
all kinds of movies and things, TV shows, weird shit. My husband calls it <laughs> air, air cinema sure. from uh, around the world. It's uh, usually rare, hard to find, unavailable. You know, come come look us up. There's something for everyone there. Uh, or you can find me uh, writing for the Austin Chronicle. And find you, of course, on Twitter. Oh, on Twitter. Yeah. Fook, Fook This, F-O-O-K. Is that correct? Yes, at Fook This. I've had that username since AOL 2.0. <laughs> so if you remember me back then, that is me. <laughs> you want to just do a full-fledged background check on Sarah, you could probably do some searching <laughs> and figure some stuff out. I got kicked out. off of AOL for that name. Someone oh. who hated me, I had that name for like seven years. And then someone who hated me, because, you know, there was drama back then. On sure, AOL. of course. Shout out to Hollywood Tonight Room. Um, they reported <laughs> my name as being, you know, filthy. And they and so uh, they knocked me off. And I remember having an argument with them on the phone. Like, how could you get rid of my name after eight years? And they're like, too bad, so sad. And so I said, fuck you, AOL. And then I was never on there. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Liam O'Donnell, how about yourself? We know Cinepunks is doing a gangbusters lately. Uh, any uh, new recent shirts from Rough Cut Fan Club? Where else can people find you? Oh, oh man, you said all the things. Obviously, they should go to cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Uh, you know, latest episodes of this podcast, as well as my other two podcasts, Cinepunks and Horror Business, and a whole family of great shows, whether that's uh, Twitch of the Death Nerve or Tomb of Ideas or The Carnage Report. And of course, Cinepunks is on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Uh, as far as Rough Cut, I don't know... I think our next drop is um, one that is not for me, but other people might be excited about it. Um, because it's related to the show The Office. Ah, I see. And I never really watched The Office, uh, but apparently they, on The Office they had um, like, a, like a joke about a serial killer, and so the shirt is like a fake horror movie for the serial killer in the office. I don't get it. It's not feels my a little off model for Rough Cut. To be totally honest with you. Uh, I don't. <laughs> Justin is so <laughs> Justin is so stoked on it, and he posted a teaser, and the teaser went over bigger than a lot of our other things. I bet. People... I mean, again, it it feels like something that you would be able to get honestly at a hot topic or something like that, which isn't a bad thing. People like that shit. I mean. Whatever. I mean, look, Ooh, I wanted to do undermining I, Liam's punk sensibilities. <laughs> yeah, you really, some you really great are. Shirts there. I've got a couple from there before we even started this podcast. I sure. can't. That's not even. Come on. It uh, is. <laughs> I followed you guys on Twitter just as. Oh, you, know, you meant people. us. I thought you were. I thought you were saying you got some great shirts at Hot Topic. I was going to be what? like, oh, no. no, she's praising you. Ew. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. No, like, and I, are you and, no, 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 no. I. I do. I agree. I think we do lots of great stuff, and I'm and I'm not saying the office isn't great. It's just not something I care about. But sure. not every not everything we do is stuff. It, even most of what we do is stuff Justin cares about because he has to actually make the art. So it's hard to get him to make art for shit he doesn't like. But uh, but not everything we do is stuff he cares about, and not everything we do is stuff I care about. So you know, sometimes we do stuff because other people. And to be fair. The people who actually pitched this idea and got him excited were people who support the brand. You know, it's people who have bought shirts in the past. So I don't personally get it, but, it, you know, again, 
that's assuming this has even happened. Watch, he'll pull the plug tomorrow, and uh, I'll regret this whole part of the podcast. You know, I'll say that because it's a conceptual idea as opposed to using artwork specifically, you know, saying this is the office, that you can probably get around the copyright a little bit easier as well. I mean, oh, I can hear that. Holy shit. Yeah, it's coming. Oh, is that the thunder? Yes. Yeah. They said like between eight and nine, and here it is. <laughs> Well, anyway, check that out at roughcutfanclub.com. You still with us, Liam? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I got distracted. <laughs> the sky is coming for me. <laughs> well, you can find Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. You can, of course, follow Cinepunks on all of your social media uh, beloved places, including Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter under the name Cinepunks. You can find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And if you want to check out the entire archive of George Kennedy's My Co-Pilot or do, uh, uh, you know, subscribe to your place of choice, you can do that over at cinemasmorgsboard.com. Uh, you can also leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice. Every little bit of that helps. Or if you enjoy George Kennedy or the content we provide, you can always tell a friend we have podcasts devoted to such diverse topics as the career of Carol Kane, Jackie Chan, Alejandro Jodorowsky, Paul Bartel, and many more over at cinemasmorgasbord.com or on Twitter at cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. But for now, ladies, gentlemen, everyone in between, we have to take a little break. We're going to be back very soon with 1982's Wacko. Good night, everyone. Good night. I'd go back home But the countryside has changed so much I'd surely end up lost Half-remembered names and faces So far in the past On the other side The bridges that were burned Once they were crossed Tell me why Where does the food go When there's no one left to listen to a soul rare